We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to a special edition of the State of the Union podcast. We have ourselves a hell of a guest. Uh, Jim Sony Sonefeld. Some people call him Sony. I call him Jim. Uh, I have known him since the 90s. You may know him from his incredible work with Hootie and the Blowfish. He is also now a uh, solo artist and a writer. Uh, his new book is out. It's called Swimming with the Blowfish, Hootie, Healing, and One Hell of a Ride. And his new EP called Remember Tomorrow will be out this July 29th at all of your record stores and all of the different platforms out there that you get uh, your music on. Welcome, Jim, into the State of the Union. You look wonderful, my friend. Your dome is glistening. What uh, What's the jersey you're wearing? I can't tell from here. Well, it's the Greyhounds. Oh my goodness! I don't Look know if you, you. I don't know if you need a, a fictional team to support in your life, but this is my favorite fictional team. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, listen. Uh, I wanted to have you on for a number of different reasons. As I said, you know, we've we've been friends since the uh, the nineties, and we'll get into some of that. But your your soccer background, obviously, we're a a soccer show here. Your soccer background is is incredible, and so I read the book. Uh, and when I say I read the book, you read the book to me because I I pulled it up on Audible. You don't care. You're getting the money anyway. So uh, you read it to me, which was which was actually really interesting to hear you read it. Uh, but soccer is throughout the book in so many different ways. And I want to go back to when you were a kid because you talk about how soccer was one of your original loves and the connection that you had to it because of the international aspect and all of the different you know, diversity that it enabled you to come in contact with in terms of the teams you played on and the players that you played with. So take us back to that point and why, you know, everybody that listens to this pod at some point, soccer grabbed us and held us. So take us back to that point when you were young and soccer grabbed a hold of you. The year was 1973. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, my family had moved around a bit and we arrived in a suburb of Chicago, Illinois called Naperville. And though I had a big family and we were playing a lot of sports, uh, there was something that grabbed me with soccer. And what it did is pull what I assumed around me was kind of a, I don't know, just bland, maybe white bread sort of community. Uh, And it showed me that there was diversity, even in our community that I didn't know about. I was just a little kid, but suddenly there were Germans. Suddenly there was Australians. Suddenly there were Africans, an Iranian guy, Asians. And I just thought there's something so beautiful about that to begin with. 
and that it was all sort of uh, spinning around a soccer ball and connected the bigger globe, which I couldn't even imagine, to my little town, I thought was uh, beautiful. And uh, I did like the touch of the ball at my feet as well. But honestly, I would have chased any ball. I was like a, a dog, just throw it and I'll chase it, <laughs> bring it back. That's kind of how my mind worked. And But it was definitely that internationality and it continued to be. It wasn't as if, oh, that day it happened or that season of my life, I saw people from all different places. It continued to, to show me that this is a, a sport that I can continue to chase and, and be part of at the same time around the world. It's uh, it's amazing that you say that because I vividly remember when I was you know 10 years old or whatever, going out on my front sidewalk and juggling a ball and thinking about the fact that on the other side of the world, there was a young boy or young girl in a country that I probably had no connection to. But this thread bound us uh, of, of kicking a ball and that soccer. And I thought that that was so cool. And look, I, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit and I grew up as American as you can get doing all the different American things. But that global aspect of the game, that international aspect of the game, I can totally relate to how that grabs you uh, because it's something different and it and it exposes you in a certain way to the world around you. Now, soccer still continued to be an important part of your life, so much so that uh, when you went off to college, you were going off to college to play soccer. You were a walk-on. Take us through your college experience uh, and how that went. My college experience was uh, like a lot of my life. I have, I have to learn by trying a thing. I can't have you tell me, even if you're a parent or an authority figure, I can't uh, read it and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'll, I'll do that thing. I have to go do it to prove I either can or can't. And so against a few small college offers in the Midwest, in uh, Illinois, Wisconsin area, I decided that 800 miles away in the deltifying heat of Columbia, South Carolina, was where I wanted to attempt to play soccer at the Division One level. So I I took a spring break trip with my dad uh, my senior year just to stand on the sidelines of a spring practice and see what my competition looked like and either convince myself I can I think I can play against these guys or say, no, nah, this is too much. And I, I looked and I measured and I, I just said, I think I can do this. And the coach uh, offered me a, a tryout uh, the following you know August. He said, come back, get in school and come back. And so with a bunch of nerve, I showed back up and I was the one walk-on candidate that they took in 1983. And I was on my way to, to try four years of Division I soccer. It was some of the best times I've ever had. Still have some strong friendships from that time. Uh, got to see a little bit more of the international world uh, of, of football and play with guys that were from England, Ireland, Iceland. Just beautiful, and uh, it, it only invigorated my love of the sport. I honestly, it, even during my junior or senior year, would have thought I'm still on a trajectory to continue playing. Uh, certainly, it would have uh, been a nice picture for me instead of getting a real job. I was not thinking about a real right. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, ama amazing? You mentioned you know driving out with your father to see. I mean, I vividly remember my father drive putting me in a car and driving 16 hours out from Detroit. Uh, to to Rutgers and saying you know this is the only place that's going to let you in so this is where it's gonna it's gonna happen but you know those those memories uh, those memories flood flood back now listen uh, you uh, you are a wonderful musician and obviously people know you.
you as the, the drummer for Hootie, but you're also a wonderful singer and a wonderful songwriter. So how was music, uh, you know, impacting you or infiltrating your life, if you will, during that time while you were playing soccer and going to, uh, and going to college? Well, in, in the, the few moments between attending school, obsessing about soccer and some of my other sports that I was still interested in and hanging out with friends, uh, I sat in my basement at my little drum set uh, with my big pioneer padded headphones from the 70s and 80s, and I drummed my heart out. I, I didn't seem to have time for a garage band, which a lot of kids were doing, uh, so I played on my own. I had cassettes and the radio, and I just mimic the bands of the day, a lot of classic rock, and uh, so I did my best. I learned to keep a good you know, time clock with my drumming without even interacting with musicians, and that was growing. That, that sort of seed that was planted when I took my first drum lesson at 13 and got a drum set, it grew and grew and grew. And I, it was always a big thing for me, yet only in my mind. And it wasn't until there was a point in college soccer where I felt it growing musically big enough to challenge soccer that I would have even considered you know, a career in music or uh, songwriting. And it was only a gap year from soccer that opened my eyes up to see yeah, I could be in a band. I mean, I was 21 when I joined my first band, and that's considered kind of a late bloomer. I don't know. Were you in bands and doing soccer, Lexi? Yeah, I was doing the same thing. I was doing, you know, garage bands and talent shows and doing all that kind of stuff. And then when I got to college, I was playing frats and just, you know, throwing stuff in the car and doing all all that. Yeah. So again, the parallels are amazing. And so when you talk about, you know, moments that change your life, right? Obviously, you look at the 90s and you look at the mid-90s in particular when you hooked up with uh, Hootie and the Blowfish and your world fundamentally changes as as mine did in the 90s too. It's amazing. Um, I mean, we could talk hours and hours and hours about this, but just give a little perspective and idea of how much your life and world changed with that type of stardom uh, right out of the shoot with your first major label album uh, and it's just going bonkers all over the United States and the world. Well, there's a few subtle changes that happened right before that that even made it possible. One was knowing that my soccer career had fully ended after my you know senior year last game. I kind of knew that this isn't going any further and it forced a hand that said, well, what are you going to do? What's in your heart? And my dad always said, keep your options open have other interests, know that if one thing doesn't work out, you have somewhere else to go. And I knew that place would be music. And I quickly joined a band and uh, playing in a, a local band or two kept me in Columbia. And that kept me in the sort of uh, atmosphere of Hootie and the Blowfish, who were also on campus college band. And uh, when it came to realizing I want to write songs, I, I want to participate in lyrics and melodies, not just beat the drums, uh, at the same time, the Hootie drummer, Brantley Smith, was considering leaving the band because he was graduating and wanted to follow a different path. And, you know, it's all about timing in a lot of ways in our careers, at least, where if you're there at the right time, you can fall into the thing that is going to be your thing. So, yeah, Hootie presented itself as a bunch of guys who worked hard, wanted to play hard, wanted to write their own music. And I jumped on. I said, let's just try this. It feels right. And 
we toiled. We had a great time. We, we actually loved toiling. It's probably the years that we cherish most were from 89 to 94. When we were a little anonymous, we worked hard. We got to travel on our own and we had a van and we weren't making any money. We were writing songs and enjoying meeting people and uh, getting boozed up at different clubs across the Southeast. And that was fun. It was a very simple lifestyle. But when fame hit, boy, there's no script or class you can take to try and adjust to that. And so we didn't really know what we were doing when when it did hit in 95. Well, it hit and you sold a ton of records. You toured all over the place. You were ubiquitous with the 90s and you you know you permeated through the culture in everything that you that you did and you lived the rock and roll lifestyle and I want to get back to that in a second but let's be honest as you progressed and put out more albums and sold more albums and continued to tour the the pinnacle of your success and the experience that probably shapes you the most as a person has to be in 1998 in the fall of 1998 when you were touring Europe and you brought along uh, yours truly and my band, and we had a wonderful time. And I will forever be grateful to you um, because, for, and for people that don't know, the connection between Hootie and the Blowfish and the sports world was established early on. And actually, you talk about it in the book where there was positive and, and negatives to that. Obviously, the positives are it's a whole new world out there and there's connections and there's promotional opportunities and stuff like that. But also, I think you at times even questioned are we too close to the sports world out there? And is it hurting maybe our, our credibility out there? I didn't care about I didn't care about that. You were bringing us out. You were incredibly uh, gracious in the way that you treated us. We <laughs> we we had a wonderful wonderful time as far as I remember, uh, and it was wonderful on stage and off stage. So just for 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 the public out there, uh, I want to I want to one last time or or one more time. Thank you for letting us out there. It was wonderful. So tell tell the people about that because even I'm reading the book and I come upon a chapter and I'm in the chapter and the chapter's named after me, which is an you know it's made me feel so good uh, reading it uh, that it even was a blip on your radar of all the wonderful things that were going on. It was a fantastic blip. Uh, uh, <laughs> was yes, not just a blip, a re an amazing blip. You're no regular blip, Alexi. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, we, you know, it was funny that soccer has led me to places uh, that I didn't expect. Music has led me to sports I didn't expect. And this was the mm -hmm. perfect uh, intersection because it was my love of soccer, which kept me in touch with the game. Uh, eventually seeing you and some of the other stars of the day rising to represent our country. And I was fully uh, the, the internet taking charge so I could actually find some things out there. So yes, it was out of slight, slight stalking of our beautiful sports, <laughs> the beautiful game that I found out that Alexi Lawless has an album. What? Ginger? What? It, it just came, it came out in 98. And that's, was my inspiration to, to track you down to say, I love this music. And obviously the soccer thing goes without saying, I love that. I love that you play for our country. I think that's amazing. You played out of this country. I just was inspired. And But the, it's really quite amazing that it actually worked. As busy as uh, you have been and uh, as sometimes little control I have over band decisions, it is spectacular that 
uh, Lexi Lawless and his band and his leather pants got to come tour <laughs> in Europe with Hootie the Blowfish. I mean, it couldn't have been, been a more uh, Americana-styled uh, lineup. And you drew tickets, uh, ticket buyers, better than I expected because I did not know there would be so many people that were very curious of what the redheaded, goateed American footballer could do on stage and you man you slayed them I, that's what i love most is that you're no poser up there you're not just like goofing off like, oh, i kind of sing i kind of write you you brought the whole game and i think you floored some of those uh europeans that thought he's just a footballer who wants to sing a few ditties oh well we, uh, we i will forever be grateful as will the rest of the guys from the band we had a wonderful wonderful time all right so i mentioned that you know you were living this rock and roll lifestyle and the book is so interesting because there's obviously incredible music and, you know, for, for geeks like me, when you're talking about, you know, pulling out the Kenny Aronoff snare that was used on John Mellencamp records and stuff like that. I mean, I, I eat that all up, but there's so much more. There's, um, there's a, a story, obviously, of redemption. Uh, there is spirituality. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, there's, you know, the... Um, the dynamics of a band, which a lot of, in a lot of the ways are kind of like a dynamic of a team uh, out there, and you have ups and downs, you have good times and bad times, and and all that kind of stuff. But there came a point where the lifestyle that you were living and that rock and roll lifestyle was, you know, going to send you uh, a way that could have been really, really problematic for you. And thankfully, you were able to recognize that through the help of others and and uh, and talk about it. And look, by no means is this a um, a book that's uh, that, uh, what I love about it, it's a book that's preaching down to you or telling you should do this or you should do that. You're just you're just telling your story, and it is uplifting and it is inspiring in the way that you uh, that you talk about. So you know, as we as we get to the end of uh, of this conversation, can you talk a little bit about what the moments were and how you? I, I guess went on that different path that has led to you to where you are today, and not just shaving your head. <laughs> though that was uh, part of the beginning. That was, uh, you know, I finally began to listen. It's, it's to, to friends and family members who give a, an old-fashioned intervention where they, you know, gather around and say, we love you, we're worried about you. <laughs> Those aren't great, obviously, but they're, I think, always sincere. And But I finally got, it was, it was cumbersome. It was tiresome. It was to, to keep up what my body demanded in uh, substance uh, and chemicals and, and being on, a, on the road with a band, obviously it's the best place to camouflage a guy who's partying above regular. And so I was able to hide it for, for a long time, but it really in the end became just frustrating to try and uh, be partying as hard as I was being on the road and starting a family and trying to keep a family. And that's where really the, I started to feel under the heat and under the light is that I realized I couldn't, couldn't do both. And obviously people noticed that there were problems and I finally gave a listen and got some help. All I mainly had to do is get in front of some people that had a, had a similar journey before me. And there are many that have come before me that said, Hey, yeah, we lost control of our lives and we were powerless over this certain substance and here's where you go to get help. So I was, a little lucky that I trusted it and I and I went for it and it's been working for me for 17 years now. But it also made for a difficult time still being in a band and doing the things I love to do uh, in life that had always been based or 
often based on the party. Mm -hmm. And so, well, listen, well, listen, uh, I, I'm so glad that we got this chance to talk. Uh, I'm so glad where you are, and I'm so proud, uh, and you should be proud of everything that you have done, including uh, writing a book, which is no small feat. And I know it probably, I, 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 you know, the acknowledgments of, of all the different people that, that helped along the way, but you should be really, really proud because it's a really, really interesting look into your life, obviously, but you know, also from a from a soccer perspective over here, which is one of the reasons why uh, why we met in the in the first place. But I have found so many people out there that have this connection, that have this connection to soccer. Obviously, in the music industry, in the in the film industry, in the entertainment industry out there, there's a lot of people that gravitate to the game, the international aspect of it uh, th that we talked about. And once it's in you, whether you're playing or not, it's it 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 never leaves you, and it. It has a funny way and a wonderful way of connecting people, and it connected us. And I'm so happy that we were connected through the sport of soccer. And I'm so happy for you that you have come out of you know the interesting and wonderful period, but also at times a dark period to a much much better version of yourself. And I wish you all the luck as you continue to write and to perform, whether it's with Hootie, whether it's uh, your solo album, as we mentioned, called Remember Tomorrow, which is out on July 29th, uh, or whether it's more books that are coming out. But until then, this book, Swimming with the Blowfish, Hootie, Healing, and One Hell of a Ride, Jim Sony Sonefeld, my friend, uh, my uh, my partner in crime back in the, uh, in the 90s, thank you so much for coming on the State of the Union podcast. Anything you would like to say to your adoring public before we leave? Go USA. Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, is the U.S. coming out of the uh, the group uh, this November and December in Qatar? We got Iran, we have Wales, and we have England. What do you think? They are coming out of the group because okay. I think we do pretty well coming in with an underdog, not mentality, but maybe something to prove. Not uh, And obviously sitting out a World Cup uh, year uh, four years ago, helps the motivation factor. But I think we do well coming from a place that says, yeah, you don't believe in this. You don't think this is anything. We're going to prove that it's something. And I think our fans will get behind it. I think the country will. And I think the players will rise up. And sometimes it's a, a belief that will get you to the next level. So I, I do see us coming out of the group. I just get so excited to have – us back in the mix. It's been a long eight years. Yes, it has, my friend. Yes, it has. It's going to make it that much more special in uh, in Qatar this November and December, which, by the way, you can see on uh, Fox. All right, Jim, uh, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the uh, the ride, and uh, hopefully I can see you in person at some point uh, going forward. And thank you for coming on the State of the Union podcast. God bless you. Thanks, Alexi. All right, folks, uh, there is a special State of the Union podcast, as I mentioned with uh, Jim, and uh, it was just fun to talk to him. And he, he is not the only one out there that has soccer in his blood and veins, but you can see that it is coursing through him. Uh, and check out his, uh, his book and his new album out there. And, and, and that book, as I mentioned before, is, is really, really interesting. And it has soccer all over it. He tells an, <laughs> he tells an incredible story, and I'll let you read it out there, of uh, my naked ass, if you will. So there's, if, that, if that isn't a tease, what is? All right, thanks for tuning into this special edition. We will see you next time. And as always, size the day. Hey.